is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. A few minutes ago, we talked about how high levels of gun violence are uniquely an American problem. And across the country, people are working in different ways to reduce these rates in any way they can. In recent years, the federal and local governments, like Chicago, have invested in a different way to solve this crisis. Anti-violence workers, many of whom are former gang members. And they're the subject of the latest season of WBEZ's Motive podcast. Ooh, you smell like gun smoke. You smell it? Sometimes I wish I was with my daughter. You know, sometimes it hurts to be here. Before my children bury me, I have to bury a child. It turns anybody different when they carry that gun. This season takes us out into the streets and follows these former gang members while they work to stop violence in their communities. The first episode of Motive Season 5 is out today. Patrick Smith is a criminal justice reporter at WBEZ and host of this season of that podcast. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Sasha. Congratulations. Thank you. Also with us is Marie Mendoza, the producer on this season's Motive. Hey, Marie. Hey, Sasha. So I'm going to start with you, Patrick. The the season is focused on anti-violence workers, and I understand that you spent about a year with some of these workers. So first, who are these anti-violence workers? So introduce us to them and tell us why that is the focus of this installment of Motive. Yeah, so I spent time with a number of workers, but the two that I spent the most time with are named Cecilia Mannion and Sorenzo Strong. Uh, Cecilia Mannion goes by Ceci. She is an anti-violence worker, a victim advocate in the Little Village neighborhood in Chicago. And then Sorenzo Strong goes by Fats. He is an outreach worker in East Garfield Park. Um, And I spent time with other workers as well, but those were the two who really gave me so much of their time and so much of their energy to help make this what I think is a really meaningful season. Yeah. They, like many of the workers who do this work, are former gang members themselves. They both have spent time in jail or in prison. They both have been shot before. Wow. They know this the violence of the city firsthand. They know what's driving it, and, and, and they think they know how to help bring it down. So in this role, tell us exactly what they do. I mean, some were calling themselves victim advocates, right? Yes. Yeah, Ceci, who I mentioned works in Little Village, she is a victim advocate. I mean, her day could be starting, you know, in the morning she's visiting a recent gunshot victim, sort of checking on them, seeing what help they need, if they need any medical supplies, helping them fill out forms to get state funds because there's victim compensation funds. Then she'll head to a cemetery where she helps a family pick out a burial plot for their their son or, or brother or daughter who was who was recently murdered. She helps them figure out how to pay for it. She'll be at a funeral with another family, you know, helping them with their grief. And then at night, she's listening to the police scanner, and if somebody gets shot in Little Village, she actually goes to the hospital, usually Mount Sinai Hospital Mm -hmm. at California and Ogden, and she will try to talk to the gunshot victim, talk to their families, see what help they need in the immediate, see if she can talk them out of retaliation. Uh, I mean, it's a... She gets paid for 40 hours a week, but it's a round-the-clock job. That is a lot. And let's piggyback off that, Marie, because I am imagining that work just weighing really heavily on these anti-violence workers and... I wonder if Ceci talked about that, what what it was like. Yeah, it really it really does take a toll. Um, you know, Ceci mentions that this work is all consuming, essentially, you know, like she doesn't really have work life balance as a victim advocate. Um, you know, like her definition of like her job is to, you know, help gunshot victims recover. But we know that this violence has ripple effects. So her job ends up extending to helping family members, um, you know, helping these gunshot victims even just get medical supplies. She right. runs a support group. So it does it does impact most of her life. And um, there really is no time where she is away from it, especially you know, she lives in, in Little Village, too. Um, right. So. This is her neighborhood. Exactly. 
Let's hear from someone else. In that first episode, we hear from a bystander who was a victim of gun violence in Little Village early last summer. So you call him Joey in the episode, but that's not his real name. Let's hear a clip of his interaction with you. What do you need right now the most that you're not getting? Like how would you mean? Like help, support. What kind of support? I just need my medicine where I can be calm. I'm in pain. Like, what time is it? It runs out like 10.20. Like I got three hours with this medication in my system. And then it runs out and it gives me pain. I didn't know how to go through all this. I ain't do nothing. I ain't do nothing. All this trying to change. Wow, Patrick. What happened to Joey? So Joey was outside of his home um, this past summer. And a car pulled up. He was outside talking with his neighbor, and a car pulled up, and someone from inside the car started shooting. Uh, the neighbor that Joey was standing with was killed. Joey was hit 11 times, um, ended up in the hospital, obviously, and was released a couple weeks later. Fortunately, um, he survived the shooting, but, I mean, you can only imagine. You can hear the pain there of, of what it what it's like to be, be shot 11 times and what that does to a person physically and emotionally. He said, I was just trying to change. It's heartbreaking. It is. I mean, he he's somebody who was uh, in a gang when he was younger. Um, this shooting is actually not his first experience with, with gang violence. He was shot before. He was beaten, uh, put into a coma from a beating. And it was actually after he got out of that coma that he left the gang. He says he was changed. He just didn't have the he didn't have it in him to be to mm. be in a gang anymore. And that was two decades ago. And so there's really real questions about why someone shot him considering that he's been out of the gang for, for 20 years. Yeah. Marie, your thoughts here? Because the, the phrase gangbanging, it actually comes up pretty often in this season. So, I mean, what do we mean? What does that entail? Yeah, so it's a really broad term. Um, you know, it essentially means anything that reinforces or supports a gang. So that could look like, um, you know, violence, like shootings um, or beatings. Um, but it could also just be like, Something as simple as standing on a block or wearing certain colors or flashing gang signs. So I think an important part of like this podcast is that that sort of isn't as clear cut as we might think it is. Um, it's a very nuanced thing. Yeah. How common is Joey's story? I would say, you know, the the, the details being hit 11 times, um, you know, being a part of something where someone else was killed, you know, he has ongoing fear that he's going to, that the people who shot him are going to come back. You know, he was shot outside of his house. He's like, the people who shot me know where I live. If they find out that I'm, you know, he, he says he's going to cooperate with police. He's like, if they find out I'm cooperating, they could come back. He's worried his family's in danger. I don't think every, you know, certainly that doesn't happen all the time, all the details of that. But the idea of somebody who just happens to live in the wrong place or Mm -hmm. somebody who's, you know, something long in their past catches up to them or just the fact that people are left traumatized, their families are at risk and and there's not enough support to help them. I think based on my reporting for this, this podcast, it happens a lot. What's it been like for you, Marie, putting these stories together? Cause you're hearing all the tape. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's been really great to work with Patrick. He's a great reporter. And I guess as a producer, I really revel in the fact that it has like such 
um, beautiful scenes that Patrick's been able to capture. Um, and I think maybe one of the biggest challenges of this season of Motive is that, um, you know, you're really immersed in these scenes. Um, you know, I think that's been a challenge for a lot of specifically narrative podcasts, um, especially in like COVID times, to really be able to, um, you know, shadow people or get um, an in-depth look into people's lives. But I think Patrick has done that um, wonderfully. And um, I just think that listeners will feel like they're in Joey's house or in um, Ceci's house um, or with Ceci outside of Mount Sinai. So I think that that's really awesome. Well, she talks about the, the, the fact that you are so immersed in this podcast. We talked about, Patrick, you spending a year with, with these people. What were the challenges for you? I think the biggest challenge um, was the emotional impact on me, which which made it like almost impossible to fathom the emotional impact on the workers who are doing this work every single day, on the people who are being shot or who are losing loved ones. Because just for me to spend time with Ceci as she's with a gunshot victim or with, with Fats in East Garfield Park as he's trying to talk people out of being in a gang or talk people out of retaliation – that weighed so heavily on me. There were things that I witnessed that, that you know, even having spent years reporting on violence, interviewing family members, interviewing people who have been shot, this was a whole new experience. And it's not a, And so then to take a step back from that, the fact that these workers are going through it every day. Right. And they have – I said they've both been shot before. Many of these workers have been through traumatic experiences before and now they are living through new traumas, reliving old traumas mm-hmm. every day. It's honestly, um, it's hard to fathom how they're able to do it. And that's a question I, I think Marie probably knows listening to the tape to hearing me. I'm always asking people like, how do you do this every day? How do you cope with this? That was the day? question of, of, of the, the year. Yeah. Right. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're talking with Marie Mendoza, who's a WBEZ producer, and Patrick Smith, who's a criminal justice reporter at WBEZ. They're joining us to preview the fifth season of the Motive podcast, which Patrick is hosting. And the first episode is out now. So there's one part that struck me, and it was how challenging it can be to get out of this cycle of of gang-related gun violence that we're talking about. I want to play a moment where Ceci and Joey talk about that. And the way that the gang life is, I mean, just from my experience, is once you're a gang member, you're always a gang member. Is that true? That's what they say. They say your life is marked. Forever, you know, no matter you take your tattoos or not, they they wanted to hit me. Is there always a clear reason why why people like Joey are a target? No, I mean that was something that really struck me as well uh, on this reporting. You know, it's not clear if Joey was a target in this case because of his past gang involvement or just because of where he lives and because he lives in in one gang's territory and another rival gang might have come over to shoot at somebody in that area. And and I was with Ceci as she spent time with, with people who there doesn't seem to be any motivation for their shooting besides where they live and that someone else might consider that rival territory. I, I do think it's important to say, you know, you all yesterday had people from, from, from different neighborhoods on. This violence does not define Little Village. It does not define East Garfield Park. It's not as if everyone who lives in Little Village is living in fear all the time. But it did, it was striking to spend time with people and families who were like, my husband or my my son, they weren't doing anything. Mm. They were just outside of their own house and somebody shot them. So it doesn't define the neighborhood, but it, it is a reality for, for people in certain parts of Chicago. And as we think about 
Joey and everyone else like Joey, their families and their support systems, really. People sometimes say, why don't they just move? Yeah, and, and that's something that Joey wants to do. Joey wants to move. I mean, talking to Fats in East Garfield Park, um, you know, we had that mass shooting on Halloween uh, over in East Garfield Park on yes. California. He said he, he talked to all the people after that of what sort of helped you need, and so many of them said relocation. I had a brother shot here two years ago. I don't feel safe. But the people who live in the highest crime the areas of Chicago, the areas that suffer the most violence – they are, for the most part, poor. It costs a lot of money to move. And and they don't have that money, and we don't really have relocation funds available for the vast majority of people who might not feel safe where they live. Yeah, that is a good point. You also talk with many other violence prevention workers throughout the season. I don't get the sense that they feel particularly valued in that role. Let's hear what one violence prevention worker had to say later in the season. They don't care about us at all, but they always call us superheroes. They're not no superheroes. They're treating us like we the part of a third-world country over here, basically. Nobody wants to pay us. Nobody wants to see what we do and how we do it. Is that a common response that you hear from the workers you talk with? I certainly heard that from a lot of workers, uh, that they don't feel appreciated, especially because of how hard their work is and how much trauma they see and how they feel like they're working around the clock. I mean, I think that the, their bosses might say, listen, we only ask people to work eight hours a day, but they feel this obligation to their neighborhood and to the work they do, so they feel like they're constantly on call. I'll say there's been a big effort in Chicago to try to recognize these workers more. You know, there's there's like events. I was at an event last year where Mayor Lightfoot spoke to some of the workers. There is definitely an effort to get better pay for these workers and to recognize their efforts more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the, the things with spending so much time with people, you see them on their highs and their lows. And and that was Fats talking there. And, and there were a lot of people I talked to who would have these low moments of like, I just don't know if people understand how hard I work. But there are other times that were like, wow, I made a difference today and I feel great. And so I don't want to make it seem like it's all despair out yeah. there. These are people who believe in what they're doing and, and feel like they're making a difference. I feel like some of that depends on the result. Of course. How much investment does the city put into these workers? Well, so last year, the city dedicated, I think, more than $13 million to this specific work. There's also money from the county. There's money from the state of Illinois being dedicated to this kind of work. I mean, the state of Illinois has has dedicated $250 million over the course of three years uh, to this exact kind of work throughout the state. So there's some real public money going into this. And this past summer, President Biden made a list of 21 executive actions to reduce gun violence, right? Can you talk about the biggest points of that list? Yeah, and there's a lot in there. There's some gun control items. There's things about how we're studying firearms. But one big thing that in the area that we're talking about today, the White House encouraged states and local governments to use COVID relief dollars on exactly this kind of violence prevention, violence prevention where you've got people from the communities trying to work with the people closest to gun violence. That's where the state of Illinois got the $250 million that I just talked about. We saw that Baltimore, St. Louis, other other cities are using COVID relief dollars on this on these kind of efforts. The DOJ also spent you know more than more than 100 million dollars on these kinds of efforts. So we're seeing a flood of money from the federal government on this. Okay. Well, Marie, what are you most looking forward to to people learning as these episodes begin to drop every week? I'm really excited for people to learn more about you know like a different way to curb violence. I think that. I mean, like Patrick has said, um, you know, 
there is no evidence yet to say that this work definitely does work or doesn't work. But um, I think that I'm really excited for people to consider how it could work um, and what it looks like um, and hopefully, you know, be supportive of more um, more initiatives to um, support and fund this work. Um, I think I'm also really excited for people to get to know Ceci. I think she's an amazing person. She's resi- she's resilient. She does so much um, for her community. Um, and I am just excited for people to see the full breadth of her work. Yeah. Well, I mean, talking about your work on this podcast, which, I mean, you are an amazing producer here at WBEZ, Marie. And I, I'm curious, when I think of all of the footage that you must have gathered in this time w- with Patrick, how do you decide... From your standpoint, what tape is important? Because I'm imagining Patrick doing a lot of recordings, <laughs> of course, and there are all important stories here that need to be told. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a collaborative process. Um, you know, me, Patrick, um, and our editor, Rob, and our executive producer, Kevin, definitely do think about, you know, how can we keep all of this good tape in? Because, you know, all of it, I said, is great. That can um, be nerve-wracking, <laughs> that process. Well, well, I think it's, I, I, I think it's important to, you, you said it already, but Marie is just absolutely incredible. She is. She's, yeah. she's amazing. We all know it on the Reset team. She's amazing going through the tape, and, and especially because uh, I collected a lot of tape and I did not do the best job labeling it. And I know this is boring for most of the listeners out there, but Marie truly is a, a superhero. And uh, I th- I'm very excited for this season. It's it's hard stuff, but it's yeah. important. One of the reasons I'm excited is because Marie just did such an amazing job putting this tape together. Super oh, talented. Thanks, Patrick. And I beg to differ, Patrick. Listeners love hearing behind-the-scenes <laughs> stuff, for sure. So leave us with with this. Your hope for, for folks, what do you want them to take away from this first episode and the rest of the season? Well, I, I want them to take away just how much help is still needed out there for people who are in the middle of Chicago's gun violence problem. But I also want people to take away the fact that there are people out there trying to help. There are workers trying to fix this situation. And as bad as the gun violence problem is here in Chicago, it's not hopeless. There are efforts to make it better. And we got to find the right things to put all of our effort behind so we can fix the problem. Marie Mendoza is the producer on this season of WBEZ's Motive podcast. And Patrick Smith is a criminal justice reporter and host of season five of Motive. Now, episodes drop every Thursday, starting today, wherever you get your podcasts. Patrick and Marie, thank you so much. And congrats again on the new season. Thanks Thanks so much.